You're listening to the Irish Times. You are not Pat Nugent. No, I'm Gavin Comiskey. Uh, yes, you are. Pat's uh, here somewhere, but he's working away on some serious journalism. He may be doing actual work that he's actually getting paid for instead of this, which I make him do out of guilt for our years of friendship. Um, thank you for doing this. No worries. Gavin Comiskey is here to help us on At A Time this morning. Uh, we're going to be a rugby-heavy podcast today in uh, in Pat's absence. Except for a little trip you took yesterday down to Wexford Park. It was lovely. Yeah. You you see, you miss all this. Yeah. Your days of covering uh, GA League matches. The, le- the league has been, it's been a while. The Six yeah. Nations has kind of interrupted. Yeah, you don't get to do these uh, hellish trips to the ends of the earth that's in, from, during Storm Dennis. That's why from reading your copy, there's way too much joy. <laughs> it was I, so I, much I know, fun. I know where you were riding and operating and praying for the Wi-Fi not to drop out or whatever. But uh, you did see a game of hurling broke out amongst uh, Wexford and Kilkenny, yeah? It was awesome. The, and the ball was, was Leach in like a magnet. Was that really? Oh my God. Oh, talk to us a bit about Leech him. In in like, that weather. like uh, you know, Leachin's, I, I don't know if there's a more complete athlete in Irish sport than Leachin. Like, he, complete professional athlete. My he's, God. He's still a pro, isn't he? It was hilarious. At the, at the, uh, before the game, I was in, I parked my car in Wexford Park and all the, the Wexford team came in in cars. They did. There was no bus. They had obviously had their pre-team. They were at home, so they obviously sure. had their their team meeting locally, and they all came in in their cars. And um, most of them were coming in in you know twelve WX Ford Fiesta kind of job. Right. Uh, and Lee came, in, Lee came in in this. It was basically a Mack truck he was driving in. It was this huge, like something like Keen Healy, four by four and, SUV right. job. Uh, but uh, no, it was deadly. It like these games, especially in that weather. Talk like about there the was a crowd. There, there was a there was a gale blowing down right down down uh, down towards the town end. So these games have no significance towards the summer whatsoever. Like it's not the same sport that they'll mm. be playing in the summer, and. Wexford were seven up at half time and it was clearly not enough. It was the biggest win I've ever seen or ever experienced at a match. Like it was, I would have said, a 14-point win. And they were only seven up and Kilkenny had wiped that out inside 12 minutes of the second half and had gone ahead. So Kilkenny were a point up, 52 minutes with a, with a hurricane at their back. Uh, and Wexford outscored them 6-4 from then on or 5-3 whatever they did but they brought on some heavy artillery oh yeah. my god yeah they, so they brought on Chin Rory O'Connor Dee O'Keefe and uh, Matthew O'Hanlon near the end ah well that's and they just enough. they just shut it down uh, and they played keep ball like they played like like Man City or Liverpool trying to work the ball out out from the back uh, they didn't like they did not put the stick to ball to any great distance they just kind of moved it around and played like a soccer team moving the ball up the pitch slowly and all that sort of stuff. And how was Davy? There was a great picture of him being described as Baby Yoda with the big hoodie up on him <laughs> as he was getting tumped on by At the rain. At the end, because the last passage of play, there was, seven, there was five minutes of injury time and the last passage of play uh, included Matthew O'Hanlon picking the ball up on the sideline and taking a shoulder off 
one of the young Kilkenny lads. And now some of the Kilkenny lads are only 21 or whatever. And he ran into Matthew O'Hannon and fell back on his arse. And the crowd just went balubas. <laughs> and like four seconds later, the ref blew the final whistle and Wexford had won by two points. And Davy turned around to the crowd and gave it the big two fists and thrusting hips. And come on, you buyer! And then went oh shit Brian Cody standing beside me and had to kind of go over <laughs> and shake his hand Jesus Brian thanks very much Jesus, I, lo- I love playing Kilkenny Brian I do I love playing <laughs> Cody doesn't you can see this he is- well he doesn't I'd say he, he I'd say he definitely used to love him right. I'd say I'd say now they haven't beaten them they haven't beaten them since 2018 right. uh, in all competitions so I'd say the love might be drifting away a little bit but uh, for a game that like I woke up yesterday morning going Please be off. Please be off. I'd love a Sunday off. And every bleeding game in the country was called off more or less except this one. Uh, No way should people have been walking out of that game going, well, that was a great day. But it was a deadly day. It was great crack. And that is league hurling. Uh, So, uh, yes, we have a great show uh, today we have uh, a new guest coming in. We have Owen Doyle, uh, the former uh, international referee and uh, current Irish Times columnist who wrote um, a, a, a scandal. Interesting stuff. Interesting. There you go. An interesting column uh, last week about schools rugby, which had steam coming out of the uh, Irish Times website. Uh, so many people were reading it and commenting on it. But first, uh, Jerry is here. Morning, Jerry. Good morning. Uh, Twickenham week mm. we are here um, it was interesting I was thinking about this a little bit over the weekend um, the first two Ireland games you know we've watched them we have an idea in our heads where things are going there seems to be some sort of progression the first two England games are so the complete opposite. Mm. Like, you can take really nothing out of the Scotland game because the weather destroyed it. They got beat in France. Like, what do we know about Eng- the England we're going to face on Saturday? Comparatively less, you're right. Um, they were surprisingly beaten at the gate in the first half by France. Um, didn't match the French intensity at all, despite Eddie Jones adopting the role of Agent Provocateur in the build-up to the game. He seemed only to provoke the French, not mm. his own players. <laughs> And then they were kind of brought back into the game by two moments of individual brilliance by Johnny May. Mm. And it did escape with a bonus point, which was an achievement given how they played on the day. The um, Scottish game was just completely destroyed by Storm Kira. Mm. So you're right, there was very little they could show in their hand there other than a very obdurate defensive performance, one piece of opportunism, um, very solid defence, like I said, brilliant over at the breakdown with Tom Curry and Sam Hundle maintaining Curry at eight. So I think they're going to be a serious threat of the breakdown over the ball, every bit of, more so even than Wales and Scotland have been. I think also there would be a tendency to dismiss that win over Scotland as not being adding up to much. But it is the kind of win, a bit like Ireland's win over Scotland when having to put up a, a lot of resistance on their own line near the end. It was the kind of win that will actually embolden a dressing room. They will mm. go into an, the away dressing room in Murrayfield having uh, all sorts of venom in the stand and on the pitch mm. being thrown at them, the storm, everything else and coming through with a one-score win um, will do a lot for them emotionally and mentally, I would have thought. Then they get a week's break and the thing about this is, of course, it's their first game at Twickenham so you'd imagine there'd be a significant improvement in their performance levels um, and Twickenham's like... Not only the worst place to lose and the best place to win, but it's also the hardest place to win. Yeah, Jerry uh, had a piece this morning, Gavin, and said Tuilagi will be back. Like that's that's a difference maker. Well, it's huge 
for them mm. because um, Tuolagi just batters. Remember, just off the top of the line out last year, mm. they went straight to him. It's, it's, they skipped the scrum half even to get the ball to Tuolagi <laughs> last season off the off, a, off over the top throw with the line out because he just he brings gain line. Um, Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw will be doing everything in their power to go. We can negate him, but and Johnny. Yeah, but you don't want Johnny. Jackson. No, but you know Johnny will too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean by Bundy, yeah. Aki and Henshaw need to do it, you know. They need to get up and stop him. Um, the thing about what I noticed though, just looking back at the Scotland game, uh, the England's win in Murrayfield was Itoje and and Genge as well, their loose head prop, were bringing, were made, just made an enormous difference in power and they, they'll feel that they can bring that to bring that to bear on Ireland. It's, I, I think Jerry was reporting this morning that... Um, there won't be change in the Ireland back row and you can obviously we've talked about it before we understand why but to not go back to Caelan Doris after it being the initial plan takes away a vital ball carrier I think that Ireland are going to need Ireland going to need to find a way of getting getting over the getting past the English defence if they don't get gain line there's, there's no chance in Twickenham you know it, it, it has to be as I, as I read somewhere over the weekend, just from researching Ireland matches in Twickenham, if you don't beat the shit out of the English, it was Fergus Slattery who said it, of course, because if you don't be, beat the living daylights out of them, you do not come even close to winning the game. He's better brought up than you, Gavin. He's <laughs> very better vocabulary. Um, but that's words. <laughs> but that's the 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 thing. And like, as you say, Jerry, like it's it's understandable that Killen Doris doesn't walk straight back in. Yes, I think it is. I mean. We're all very excited to see Caelan Doris. He's a test match animal. He really is. He's a beast of a player, a beast of a young man. Takes great lines. He could actually be a bit more of an enabler than the other back rowers there because he's got a potentially very good offloading game to bring others into the game more. Um, so I definitely think he is going to be um, a regular starting Irish back row before long. And all things being equal, touch wood, injury free, whatever else, will have a stellar international career. But... Um, I know Gordon Darcy agrees with Gavin that, you know, that Doris, if that was part of the plan, then Doris should come back in to start. I just think it's really hard to um, drop either Peter or Manny or CJ Stan. You also need dogs, mm-hmm. and Peter's a dog. You know, you need a monster dog in your pack, and um, Stander's been brilliant over the ball and the jackal as well. Um, and I still think Doris could have a very impactful, meaty 20 or 30 minutes if he's required um, at Twickenham. But uh, yeah, I think it'd be very hard to drop O'Mahony or Stander on their form. Who carries over the game line, Jerry? Like Furlong, Ryan are options. Stander will, okay, that's fine. That's established. You know he'll he'll make some kind of g- gains. I think there but might be you... an argument for starting Kilcoyne. Yeah. Something, there has to be another I one. I think you know there might mean? be an argument for starting Kilcoyne. I think Kilcoyne made a huge impact when he came on, both in his carrying and his, at scrum time. He's playing the best rugby of his life. Mm. There just might be an argument because of that to start Kilcoyne. Because that'll be interesting. If they if they don't, then then the only changes that he will have been making were are, are injury enforced essentially. Correct uh, through through three games. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah, a, a Dart will come back in for Deegan. You'd imagine all the signals are pretty yeah. much the squad, the twenty three man squad that was there. It, it transpires that Will Addison wasn't there actually. So it was only twenty two players. And Ronan Keller was lent back to Leinster because he really needs game time. Mm-hmm. He's had so little. Mm. He's had two brief cameos for Ireland um, since the beginning of December. So it's not quite the same as Doris, so that's why he went back. He'll come back, he'll be on the bench again. And it's, even though all the others are playing well, it, those were left out of the squad, like Heffernan scored Connors first try, was man of the match, just having his season of his life. McCloskey mm. scored a try. Um, Luke McGrath was very, very good as well. It's just, it's a sign of strength when you can't break into a side that's well, has after all won two from two and just had a bonus point win at home to Wales and played very well. Uh, exactly, and that, and that is the thing, like that, it, 
you know, that was the sort of thrust of my opening question. You know, the first two games have gone, you, they couldn't really have gone too much better. Well, yeah. Ireland. In term, in terms of what they need, I don't even just mean in terms of results. In terms of what they need, you know, progression, Absolutely. a team settling in under a new coach, that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, I know a lot of people were very underwhelmed by the win over Scotland, but I always maintained in here that that was a very, very important win. Mm. And in some respects, having a sleeves rolled up narrow win is a better launching pad mm. at the start of a tournament than a very handsome easy win. And look what happened between Ireland and Wales after Wales beat Italy forty two 0 That can be almost misleading when you have a too easy first up. Mm. Um, and then I thought there was huge improvements in the way Ireland went about beating Wales. I, I mean, I don't remember an Irish team in so long creating space so well in the outside chance for Robbie Henshaw, for um, Jordan Larmer hitting the line for the wings. Larmer was really is really bringing another dimension, but it helps that. There's so much work rate off the ball that's putting him in space and he's linking well with his wingers and uh, you saw Henshaw making real inroads in the outside channel. There was a moment when they fell 7-5 behind against Wales and they had a they set up in, in midfield in the middle of the pitch and they went left to right. They went from Murray to Sexton to Bundyaki to Larmer who hit Andrew Conway for the chip head. It led to the try from which Arnold went 12-7 yes. back mm, ahead. Mm. And... Um, there was just perfect outside-in decoy runs for the for, for the first instance by Rob Herring and then Peter Armani, which helped check the defence. It was just beautiful to watch, mm. like, and it was it was illustrated by a lot of what happened during that game. They've become very became very adept in that one game. It seemed to me at creating space, which is hugely encouraging going to Twickenham. They they go there on the, you're right on the back of not only two wins but a clear progression in form and should be very buoyed by that and quite confident, much more so than we would have thought possible at the start of the tournament. I think, Mel. I think like I, I'm not. I'm a little. I'm kind of on your side a bit, Jerry. And we've talked about this a fair bit. You know, I I I hate the idea of dismissing the Joe Schmidt years as you know mm. as Trapattoni stuff. Yep. You know, you know. But but that idea of space is something we haven't seen in a while. I think that's fair, isn't it? It's great and it's progressive and it's something that we want to see them. Everyone wants to see Ireland try and mix and match. And Sexton said, "We're doing that. We're going to mix and match until we we find that right balance." I just don't know if the English, the John Mitchell coach, I was just say, the John Mitchell defence yeah. that shut the All Blacks down, mm. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the All Blacks, who are you? I felt like you were almost talking about them there for a second when you were describing what Ireland did against the Welsh. If they know how to do this, this English defence, they know to do it. That's why, like again, Ireland might be in trouble by the fact that. Uh, Peter O'Mahony is looks undroppable by the fact that Rob Herring had they got the set piece right and it was working and all that and like I think Ronan Kelleher is the same almost the same description as Caelan Doris in the sense that he is going to be the long term mm -hmm. Ireland hooker and Ireland won in Twickenham two years ago and Ireland won a Grand Slam two years ago because there was the, because guys came into the team to just they won the Grand Slam in 09 as well because yes. players came into the team and changed the elements there was a Levy James Ryan we can go all the way back mm -hmm. to Heaslip in 09 mm -hmm. and Carney and mm -hmm. all that if Kelleher and Doris can be, I know it's, it's risky, obviously, but if they can be settled into this 15, that brings a different dimension to this team. It brings and a ball-carrying dimension. And that is an interesting area, Jerry, because in general in sport, you want to move players on too early rather than too soon, too late. You know what I mean? Like, you, you want to... You want to get Doris in for O'Mahony before you have to drop O'Mahony. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, O'Mahony's yeah. made it very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Yeah. I understand that. And but, 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 in, but, it, but over but a long-term kind of thing. Well, you're, it's funny. You just, you, I've been thinking about this over the weekend mm. as well. But look at Jordan Larmer. 
Like Joe Schmidt went along to watch a game when, when Jordan Larmer was only 16 or 17 years of age for a Blackrock College President's 15 against the Turing Hamilton schoolboys who three New Zealand schools internationals in their team and they won by 24-20 or something like that and afterwards Joe Schmidt went up to the head coach and said you've got a hell of a player there meaning Jordan Larmer in Chicago in 2000 and when did we beat New Zealand he 20, brought, 2016 2016 yeah. he had Larmer in training with the squad wow. at 18 years of mm, age mm. He, made, he gave him his debut at 20 and yet two years later at the World Cup even Joe was confessing we're not quite sure what to do with this I know, kid. Yeah, yeah, he can yeah. fill in everywhere. He's got yeah. great enthusiasm. We can, he's played him in midfield, centre wing. But going into the Six Nations, he'd only ever started one Six Nations game. And now suddenly he's getting three games in a row. Mm. So I think to them, it's a balancing act. You do mm. need to cut your teeth. You can't just breeze into the team. You do have to, you, you learn as you go. And Lama's mm. a much more complete player now mm. than he maybe was two years ago. And he just looks ready for it. Mm. But conceivably, he should have been brought through a little sooner. You know, mm. I mean, we had this argument, but I remember the week of the World Cup quarterfinal, I thought Larmer should have started against the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. I thought he was the one player that could have really been, and he was the one player that actually caused danger within yeah. All Blacks ranks. So it's a hard one. To, I do think Doris is just about ready. I think Kelleher might well have started, but you've got to remember the fact that he got a, was it a fractured hand or something yeah, he in made, he early missed December. Those, he missed those three months. That was, yeah, that like, was crucial, it, wasn't it? Because it's he very went, hard to throw in a 22-year-old hooker for his debut after 10 games for his province not having played in two yeah, months. Yeah. At Twickenham. At, yeah. At Twickenham. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd still do it. <laughs> but the other thing is, like, let's look at, looking at the English pack though, you know, um, Sinclair, Toje, Underhill, Curry, did he, did he put laws there? Did, just yeah. the pack that you think Ireland's going to start. Do you well, think he's, definitely, can... he's definitely sticking to Curry at eight. Yeah, so he's just who, going who... down that route, and Underhill will be there as well. So Ireland have to expose that. You know? Yeah, they... tough to expose. Like I think it's going to be a battle royal at the break- breakdown. I think Curry is just a ridiculously brave, almost over brave player. You'd wonder if he's going to have a long career at all in this game. He's just, you know, he's just so almost reckless with his body but I'd, he's brilliantly brave I'd venture that Doris is as good if not better than Omani at the breakdown as well you know? yeah sure it's one of his traits too yeah you I know, know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah again we're throwing him into a go back there though Gav when you say expose that do you see that as a weakness so Curry did not look like uh, Curry who's a brilliant world class player but mm. in Paris they really really missed the number 8 mm. with control at the base of a scrum and, and you go after the, you target the thing that's a potential weakness and Eddie Jones's description to work for it was, essentially what he said was, I've got two open sides. They're both world class. I don't have a number eight at the moment who I think is world class. Mm. So I have to figure out a way of turning Curry into something that's going to be a benefit to us. That's mm. essentially what he said. And he goes, I might get this wrong. and Because after Paris, it looked like he got it badly wrong. But he was then brilliant in Murrayfield. But there is... A different they, sort of They game. don't have a technical yeah. number eight, you know, which if the scrum, if Ireland can get kind of a bit of an advantage in the scrum, they're going to be in all kinds of trouble. And hopefully Ben Young starts because he has been extremely fit. I think they're going to start Willie Hines though, don't you? Like Hines was promoted at Young's expense in Scotland. They won. The likely Young finished well though. He did, well, yeah, yeah, he did, he did, he did. Um, there's a few interesting dynamics to this as well. And I agree with everything Gav just said as well, but the Saracens players aren't playing great. Mm. And they have, they've been coming out in interviews now saying this has affected them. And not surprisingly, because mm. some of them have had their, the, their, you know, the details of their, of both their salary and yeah. their bonuses and their fringe payments, whatever else, yeah. been made public, and their futures looking mm. uncertain at best. Yep, and we've also got um, you know, Owen Farrell up against his dad. Yeah, you know, this extraordinary matchup of a head coach and a, an opposing captain, never to be seen again in our lifetimes, <laughs> most probably. Um, how that will pan out? I think George Ford and Owen Farrell 
works and sometimes doesn't completely out of kilter. I thought a lot of time in the World Cup, Owen Farrell looked unhappy playing at 12. But then he just produced this magnificent performance in the World Cup semi-final, this, this warrior spirit that he mm. is for them. Um, and you'd imagine that's going to be the kind of own fire we're going to run into in Twickenham, particularly, you know, captain at home at Twickenham, their first game there for a long time. That's the And then you're going to bring Tulagi back into the mix. I think the key really will be the start. If you look, think back to what um, England did to Ireland in the Viva Stadium last year, what they did in the pre-season, um, or in the World Cup game. game, and particularly what they did to the All Blacks, they make explosive starts mm. and then everything flows from there. They didn't make an explosive start against South in Africa final, and yeah. look what happened as a result yeah. of that. So I think you've got to put doubts in their minds. If they get an early try on the board and swing low starts echoing around the ground, dear Lord help us, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> then then they're back to the World Cup form that they showed. Mm. Now they still don't have Billy Vonopolo but they do have Manu laggy, and I just think that gives them, Gav's right, they've got, Ireland have got to stop him particularly early on because you know He's gonna come. They're gonna launch Manu Tulagi at the Irish midfield Jerry, very early on. Which which kind of team? Which team are England? Are they the team that beat the All Blacks, or are, they, or are they the yeah. team that lost in Paris? Because yeah. Eddie Jones has been saying just before the World Cup, I'm gonna make these into the best team, or maybe the best England team ever. Whatever he was saying, you know, and that performance against the All Blacks is up there with anything, anything we've ever seen. It's against about the French beating them. It's as, it's as good a thing as ever. But South Africa. Almost out, kind of out, out taught them. I figured them out, and then we can go. We go back to the, pretty much the same team again, bar Vonapola, That Ireland totally sussed out in Twickenham in the snow and the horrible weather in 2018 on Paddy's Day. So it's a case. Of, I think this is probably what this game is. Which England team is this? Because yeah. they, if they lose in their third major Test match, which this effectively is since they beat the All Blacks, that All Blacks thing becomes. Uh, an anomaly in itself. Yeah, it? their Icarus moment. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, uh, and that was a game they've been building up to so, for so long, almost for four years. He kept building up towards the World Cup and beating the All Blacks, beating the All Blacks, beating the All Blacks. And of course, it was a feature of the World Cup, you know, Ireland after beating Scotland after yeah. that big build up, you yeah. know, South Africa then mugging England the final week after. Yeah. The, All Blacks producing their performance of the tournament against Ireland in the quarter final, not producing a week later. Everybody, so everybody played their World Cup final too early. Yeah, except yeah, the All Blacks. Except, uh, uh, except, except the Springboks yeah. kept it for the final. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe this is a big English performance coming. I kind of fear it is. Mm. That Ireland win in Twickenham two years ago is the only time they've lost home to the Six Nations since 2010. Like it is a fortress. It's a bloody hard place to go and beat the home side. They're not as l at low an ebb as they were in 2018. They, I think they had lost two in a row going into that game and they had a lot of injuries. And but there was a mess. Of a, there, a mess. there was a mess of a season. Whereas Ireland them. were mm. four from four going for the Grand Slam. That's So um, I do fear that this will be a stronger English performance than we've seen the tournament to date. And, but whether it'll be as good, I don't know. I, I don't think it can be as good as the World Cup semi-final because they just don't believe in Apollo. Yeah, and also remember uh, Ireland in that game two years ago, like Jacob Stockdale was walking on water. Yes, yes, was anything wrong? Tag mm. Furlong threw a pass that Dan Carter would like. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the swivel. Yeah, and, and also <laughs> the thing is that was a we, Ireland won a Grand Slam on Paddy's Day in Twickenham, mm. and all you wanted to do was get the hell out of there afterwards because it was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cold. <laughs> it was vicious. You know, it was. It was and this looks like it could be a very wet weekend. Wet few weeks in our lives all, all across the board apparently a lot of rain coming so it's going to be a very wet game as well Who do you think are um, we're touching on this already but who do you think is a better team right now Ireland or England You're, you're coloured a little bit obviously by the August pre-season game the 50 points but the, the players themselves the Ireland players themselves are like okay yeah we made a mess of that and that was the, the, the peak of us ruining 2019 but mm. um, it was a pre-season game 
You know, they just had been flogged in Portugal. So you can kind of shelve it. And still, when you look at it then, Jerry, who do you, you got sex and you, I, where, I exactly go, where you want I'd, them at the I'd moment. Wa- I'd want our halves. I'd probably mm. go for our second rows just about. Yeah, yeah. Toje Doves look pretty good in my yeah, field. Um, there's not a huge amount between the team. In general, you tend to tend to take a punt on the team on the upgrade rather than the team mm. on the downgrade. Yeah. Like England uh, could no, be, England could say be in trouble. They have yeah. new coaches. They they, they That's looked right. a bit messy in Paris. Mm. Yeah. They recovered well in the second half, granted. But, um, you set peace coach, new attack coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, very dangerous to lead, to be... To, to be like predicting a victory in Twickenham. It's a game that will tell us an awful lot. Isn't that right? Really? That, that, that it really, hugely informative. It, it yeah. really dictates it, almost the rest of the tournament. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to change my view that the Welsh game was in many ways a defining game for Ireland's Six mm. Nations because by dint of winning that, we're now content- Ireland are now yeah. contenders to win a Triple Crown, should finish in the top half of the table. It's going to be most probably a satisfactory at least first yeah, campaign. Yeah, yeah. Triple Crown could be something very special. Yes. Triple crowns matter. There's oh, 11 of them in 126 years. <laughs> and, and, and not only if Ireland won this, but if they almost certainly then be going to Paris looking for a grand slam. And they come, in, t- they come in twos as well, these triple crowns. Yeah. They do come yeah. in pairs. It always latched on, one latched onto the other. Yeah. Another factor we haven't mentioned, an important factor, is Jacko Piper. He's mm. the referee. He's about to do that. Yeah, like this is unnerving. <laughs> for any away side, this is unnerving. Why so now? Explain Unless well, it's a Curry Cup why. match, Piper is a real problem. Like he lets, he, he comes He's in with a South loose. African mentality. He's very, you, you think back to the game in 2016 when Ireland went to Paris and the French were just allowed target Johnny Sexton incessantly and it was just play on. The TMO and Jacob Piper did nothing. Really there were late shots, stuff. cheap shots all over the place. They, it was just disgraceful what he allowed that day. We um, can go back to the All Blacks game the, in t- uh, 2016, two weeks after Chicago when Simon Zebo nearly got decapitated, right. Henshaw nearly got decapitated. Yeah. That was Jacko Piper, Piper just... Yes. Play, it was like a hurling ref. Yes, um, Sam Kane. <laughs> Whistle not, in the pocket. Putting, right. um, knocking John, Robbie Henshaw mm-hmm. out of the game. Mm-hmm. Not only that game, but for several weeks afterwards. Um, was Malachi Fekatoa was suspended for a match afterwards, which proved that he should have got a red card. And then you think back to uh, the, op- the, the, the World Cup pool game between Japan and Samoa in Tokyo, or wherever it was, and it's the last play of the game. And Samoa opted for a scrum on their own five minutes after their own, line, and he penalised them for a crooked feed. That was scandalous. the only one in the whole World Cup. Not only the only crooked feed in the whole World Cup, the only the only crooked feed in the last four-year global cycle of rugby. I can't remember <laughs> the last crooked feed. It was quite extraordinary. So yeah, he's a. It's unnerving to have him mm. as referee. Um, Johnny's in Johnny's relationship with him will be interesting. Of course, we've got the two out halves. Great buddies and Lions tours, uber competitive, going hell for leather at each other and the two captains. And trying to talk to Piper, that's yes, the exactly. problem. So yeah. Farrell will have a, a similar problem yeah. to Johnny, I'd yeah. imagine. That'll be, that'll be worth watching just be worth, the, worth the reflink alone. Uh, lads, thank you very much and we will uh, talk to you next week. So second today, Gavin, we're still going to keep talking rugby. A rugby podcast. This is what happens when, uh, w- when Pat takes a day off. We yeah. just uh, keep talking rugby. We have... Uh, in our midst, we have uh, the Irish Times chief troublemaker, essentially, from last week. Uh, Owen Doyle is a, a, a former referee uh, and a, a columnist with us. Um, thank you for coming in, Owen. Pleasure. Uh, you wrote a column last week. Uh, you had been to a schools match uh, or a few schools matches. Uh, anyway, you, you've been to some schools rugby recently. Uh, and the column you wrote... Uh, I would imagine was the the most read thing in the Irish Times last week. So maybe you tell for the people who missed it, the three people in Ireland who didn't get to read it, uh, explain what was in your column. 
Right. Well, I was going down to watch a lot of schools rugby Good. this year because I'm concerned about the mode of play and mismatches and so on and so forth. Indeed. And bit by bit, the behaviour in the stands and the terraces uh, drew my attention very much. Mm. So I took the trouble in a couple of matches of wandering over to the terraces and listening to what was going on. Mm. And it's a serious problem, which isn't just confined to Leinster. Sure. Uh, I mean, in Munster this season, two of the top schools uh, have had their supporters banned from attending. I mean, the schoolboys haven't been allowed, so they've played like behind closed doors. Wow. So it's a, it's a big problem and it's a social problem. We're all right wing now. Uh, and it's not every school. Mm. Uh, some schools I've seen take action in the stands, take pupils out, uh, but it's far too many schools. And it's the most, it's recent past pupils who are causing the biggest problem. The problem, therefore, for, for, the, for the schools is how do you manage your past pupils? Indeed. Uh, and my, my, my view about that is that I, I, I don't see that these pupils just leave school and suddenly click of the fingers, we're out of schools and we change, turn to thuggery. Uh, I mean, rugby has terrific uh, core values of integrity, discipline, loyalty, respect. And those are our life values as well. And when you go to school at the age of 12 or 13 into secondary school, one would expect those to become the norm. They're instilled in you uh, automatically. And if they're not, there should be classes about <laughs> so, so hang on, though. Like, thuggery is a big word now to be, to be using. Uh, like, is it... You can tell me, does this go beyond the usual uh, sport supporter choyoiking, like, you know, uh, trading insults and, and so on? It, it, is it more than that? It is. I mean, there, there's always been great banter between the, the rival supporters mm. and they sing and they chant at each other and it's fun. Mm. Uh, and then you get the odd comments that come out, uh, like the ones that, that were printed. And, and they're fairly vicious stuff. Uh, your father works for my father can be said many ways, but 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 it's said in a nasty, vindictive mm. way. And on the far side, on the terraces, I mean, these people have arrived and they've obviously been drinking. They must have been drinking and maybe something else into the bargain. Mm. Uh, and they're vicious. I mean, they taunt the players. Uh, the throwing in hookers on the far side of Donnybrook, who are only a matter of metres away from uh, the crowd, they are taunted, they are screamed at. Uh, this is the thing. Like, if it if it's if it's one set of past pupils roaring at another set of past pupils, you know, you, who cares to a certain extent? Like, it's not great, but who who gives a shit? Like, but that when they're screaming at at schoolboys, that's that's a that's of a different stripe. That's right. And I mean, some of the stuff was on the cusp of racism. That's very interesting because we're getting that now all over football, and yeah. it's really it's mm. it's a real over the weekend. Yeah. In Portugal and Dar Derby County, mm -hmm. there was an incident as well with a commentator. And so, if you're hearing that, it's reflective of society, and it's reflective of that. Then it's a it's a real serious problem. Is it? Are you hearing stuff that's on the cusp of racial abuse that you wouldn't have heard before out of these trips to Donnybrook? Oh, definitely. Um, and I mean, there was there was a lovely guy playing for one of the schools the other day on the wing, and uh, he did very well not to respond, and they were trying to taunt him to respond and he was waiting back in a sort of semi fullback position mm. so he was isolated from his own teammates and this nonsense was going on uh, and I go back to the core values 
uh, they have to be instilled. I mean, rugby, I mean, I wrote that and I knew it would be provocative. I didn't know how provocative. <laughs> Uh, but you were appealing to the base. If somebody described <laughs> it as the most Irish Times, Irish Times, Kylie, we've read in a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, because it's got to be pulled back before rugby follows every sport, uh, uh, which would be terrible. I mean, the, the security presence is, is very high. I mean, there's a security firm inside the ground who have about um, 30 people. And their job is at half time to stand in front of the stand and to stand in front of the terracing uh, and the same at full time. And they definitely don't want the two groups to get together. Outside the ground, there's a far greater police presence, which used to be the odd policeman, the odd guard. Now it's about eight or ten. A few years ago, the Heineken Cup final was played in Cardiff and I was at it. Wandering back to the post-match reception in the hotel, I saw one police <laughs> and it was a woman and she was taking photographs of the two yeah. groups of supporters arm in arm singing uh, now that's what rugby should be so why do you think it, it, this is a, a, a thing specifically in, in the school's competition because I think it's these past pupils who decide that they've got some sort of right to go out have a nice lunch few pints uh, go down to uh, Donnybrook mm. And behave like that. And when they're all together, it's very easy. You wouldn't find one of those guys on his own mm. doing it by himself. I mean, that's for certain. And that's mm. the sort of the bullying aspect uh, that comes into it as well. Mm. It, it, uh, just provided with a context to this, on Garda Shiakana have relayed their uh, points to the schools that are at the point now where action must be taken when incidents occur. And also security firms, sword security, have mentioned um that fireworks and smoke bombs have been thrown onto the pitch and into the crowd. There's derogatory name calling and all this. So there was a news story element to this that I reported. Yeah, on. you were writing about this last week before actually Owen did. Um, this the sense of this like is this like is is this becoming a serious thing? Like is this more than just a few idiots? I I think it's primarily a few idiots, but there's always been the potential for this to happen. Um, and it came to light with us because it was a letter from I think it was Castlenock College's principal to the past pupils union and to mm -hmm. to reiterate that certain things need to be held in order and presume all the schools were doing this and not mm. just naming them it was just that we saw that letter yeah. so yeah uh, but it's, it's I've covered I don't cover schools rugby uh, anymore like maybe in a, the odd final here yeah. and there but I haven't done it for a couple of years but I did it for a long time and it was a really valuable uh job to be doing because you see the Caelan Darces and the yes. lads coming through yeah. um, when they're 15 and mm. you, you have a lot of knowledge when you're reporting on your other aspect of your job. But also I've seen some pretty um, interesting things over the years like I've seen adults coming onto the pitch and arguing with referees and you know, I know there's, there's been uh, cases of a player being sent off and a senior counsel grilling an official in the disciplinary hearing. Like this <laughs> stuff is, people say it's taken extremely seriously by the, the past pupils and the fans and all that and they're mirroring society but it's taken extremely seriously by the adults who should know better uh, and I've seen a lot of that over the years and that was why it gets such a rightly gets such a bad rap from people who are one step who are not removed from it and who are no interest in schools rugby and I think it's all this elitist thing Yeah, I, I can understand why they have that feeling over the years and then um, I miss the beat. I like going back and watching the games because, again, you, even you from your idea of a refereeing perspective, you get great knowledge because, again, it, you see what's happening on the pitch. But it's... Um, you two, you guys, like, you, you, are, you are of this world. Like, you, you know, you, you have, have watched this, the, the Leinster Senior Cup for 
for forever. Uh, as yeah, an, I went to see it in 1989. I saw Victor Castle so like, as a kid. As like, an yeah. outsider, as somebody from the country, this stuff. When I came to Dublin first, the the sort of the importance attached to this competition, the fact that it was covered so extensively in the newspapers with pullouts, like it it that just seemed bonkers to me, absolutely off the wall, uh, and. I wasn't a bit surprised, Owen, when when uh, the the headline we 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 used that line uh, for for the headline for your piece last week. My father wor- or your father works for my father because that spoke to like it was a wee, a wee bit clickbaity. We you know we make no apologies for that, but we that spoke to what what all of us outside of of that world would be kind of going, yeah, of course that's the sort of shit that goes on there. Because like, you know, that it feeds into that that elitism, that kind of they the you know, the 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 sort of these people, the that sport almost thinks of, thinks of itself as a sport apart. And, you know, what you're talking about, rugby values and all of that, is obviously important. Uh but it kind of there's an argument to say that it it sort of it can feed into into that. Yeah, it can in a way, and and there are two points here. I think I think this is I think this can be solved if people grasp the nettle. Mm. Uh, the first thing, though, that and it's it's it is very serious because something can go wrong in a split second. Yeah. And some of these some of these kids, and they're still kids, 18, 19, first year in UCD or Trinity, uh, or or starting a job. If something happened and they get a conviction. Everything they've worked for in school has gone down the tube. Uh, and they've got to realise that. Uh, I mean, it's 20 years ago since that tragic incident outside Annabelle. Yeah. Um, lives changed, families changed, irrevocably and forever. Mm. Uh, and in a split second, the 1995 World Cup referee Ed Morrison, his great friend of mine, his son had gotten a tiny alter- altercation one evening and took one punch, fell back, his, hit his head on the pavement and was dead. So both families, the perpetrator and the Morrisons, everybody was devastated and is still devastated. So people have to be very careful and just realize they're one step away from an altercation which could alter their lives. I do think, though, and I'd be very confident that the schools will get a grip of this uh, immediately. There, there, there are only like two semifinals in the final of the school senior cup. They're coming up. Uh, I think the schools can take steps. I think then... The schools working with the Leinster branch and the IRFU uh, and per- perhaps the referees draw up a, a, a code of conduct for supporters. And if that ha- if, if that's not followed and there are serious instances... I think we're past that. I think there is Do you one. think so? And I, the fact that the guards have made the communication with the schools, I think we're, we've gone past that level. You made an interesting point about the actions of some uh, coaching staff can be completely unacceptable, upright in the stands when they roar complaints, spreading their arms wide in disbelief at the decisions of match officials. I thought that was quite interesting because... Coaches, maybe aspiring professional coaches, maybe full time coaches. You know what I mean. And their 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 brief is to win. Now I know some schools use teachers as well still, but um, heat of the moment, they're there, but they're setting an example that you see that it's that's that's dangerous, is it? Yeah, well they are. I mean, if I if I'm a pupil and I'm watching the head coach of the senior schools cup team jumping up and down, mm. now not all of them do it, but some sure. some of them do it. My own uh, school the other day. Uh, the one of the coaching staff was removed from the touchline, uh, so? and he was put back in the stands. At the same time, a penalty was awarded against my school, and a guy on the pitch complained to the ref about it, and the penalty was marched ten meters forward, quite rightly, and that was a winning kick. Hmm. 
So there are <laughs> there are on pitch uh, penalties as well or results. Uh, while we have you here, uh, let's talk. It would be remiss not to talk about uh, refereeing in, in the in the professional game and in the Six Nations as it's going on so far. What have you made of uh, how how it has all been policed so far in the? Two yeah, rounds that I, we've seen. I, I think it's been it's been variable. I mean, Nigel Owens had a very good game. It was great to see Andrew Brace, the Irish referee, uh, referee France Italy. He'd have much more challenging challenging matches, but he did he did really well for his first. Um, I think the Pascal Gozer in England Scotland was very very laissez faire. Mm. And I'll say no more about Matthew Reynal in Ireland v Scotland, <laughs> except uh, in golfing terms, he had a 10 over par result. <laughs> yeah, because he's a decent enough ref, isn't he? He just had a bad day, it seemed. He made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> he did. He just wasn't, he, did, he didn't seem to be in the game. Mm. Uh, now that can happen. And That's fascinating. How does that happen? Has that happened to you where you, you've just, you're, is it a pace behind or you make a bad decision early or you're, you're in your own head kind of a thing, isn't it? No, normally you have this great adrenaline build up before the match and it's all under control and you go out and you blow the whistle and everything starts and you're, you're in the, the moment. You're with the players, you're not hearing anything, anything at all out there. I mean, the first international I reffed, I blew the whistle, I didn't think I'd blown it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand the noise that was coming out of Cardiff, the waves of sound in the middle. Yeah. Like, it's astonishing. And then mm. two or three matches later, you could have a far side chat and you don't believe there's anybody in the ground. Mm. That's being in it. If you're getting distracted for whatever reason, you're not in it. Yeah. And you're thinking of, of, of other sounds coming at you. Uh, What's Twickenham like? England, Scotland, you did it. Do you know when? how long ago was that? Or? Oh, no, more than 10 years ago. But I can't quite remember the yeah, date. But, what, but refereeing in Twickenham, just tell us what that's like. Well, it's awesome for loads of reasons because it's very formal, uh, the whole thing. I mean, you need to get a pass, even if you're the referee, to, to get into the dressing room, to get into the bar, to get into the other bar, to go to the dinner. It's it, Well, they have to. It's so big. Mm-hmm. And there's something about headquarters so to speak that is that is very daunting and a lot of people claim that that's not true but it is it's hard to describe unless you've been there isn't it yeah it yeah. is it's 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 a good feeling i remember england hadn't scored a, a try for a while and i gave a penalty try and uh, so i was the toast of was the toast <laughs> of london that night <laughs> can you feel the pressure though of course you're a referee referees obviously feel the pressure but the an england captain trying to communicate with you in twickenham you know it, it there's do you feel, is there an influence that's placed on you or is there an extra bit of pressure put on you? No. Um, if e- England have generally had good captains mm. and for most, now not in that match, I think it was Mike Harrison, but Will Carling, he was, he was a superb captain. Um, very easy to deal with. Very accessible. He would sort things out because you, nowadays they spend about 10 minutes uh, bringing the player and the captain out to make it quite clear what everybody knows the cap needs to be said but you could simply say to Will Carling something like look Will have a chat with Mickey Skinner there would you because he's about to and he said don't worry I'll do it I've been watching him mm. so you, that's sort of very um, low key mm. but he would get results for you When Jerry was in here earlier we, we finished off our chat about the Twickenham game talking about Jaco Piper and and it to the lads here that's it's an imponderable it's something to to, to worry about Um because he has had some games where the game has got out of hand. Um, how how do you see him going into well, this weekend? Okay, well he's got to, he's got to bring his A game with him for this match for both teams, uh, and if he does that, it'll be fine. Um, 
if if he has a a Matthew Reynal performance, it's going to be very difficult because that that could have control problems, even with all the TMO. Players get very, very frustrated if, for example, they're penalised for something, quite rightly, but five minutes later the opposition do the same thing and they don't get pinged for it. Uh, so he's he's got to bring his A game and, and he's got to protect all the players. Um, I mean, a few years ago, it was in 2016, we played France and Johnny Sexton was definitely targeted. Mm. We were just talking you about saying it. That, yeah. You just spoke about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was very obvious, yeah. yeah. What, about talk, what about Piper having to talk to two eight-halves in a game that's going to be really going to be decided up front, isn't it? Yes, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. And uh, both, both captains can, can get narky. Uh, but Johnny Sexton seems to have improved. Uh, he, he certainly, with the penalty against CJ Stander under the post, he made a very good point. Mm. Um, and uh, that's the way he's got to do it. Will you explain? What did, what did you see there? Well, I thought, it was, I thought it was harsh, and I think Romain Poit probably called it too quickly. Uh, I think that Stander grazed the ground with his knee or his elbow and then managed to get up. But I don't think he used the ground to assist him. But Roman had, had already said, let it go. Now, there's a, there's a long time length, distance be- between him saying that, Stander having the ball, and you can, you can see him thinking, damn, I've said let it go. And he didn't. Mm. I don't want to give it because this is this is too big a penalty in this situation for what for what just happened. But then he had to give it because he'd said it. But Johnny, it seemed like Sexton influenced him after the fact by his manner and the way he talked to him. It's if you just have a, what I'm saying is if a captain starts shouting at you, you just doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. I presume you just shut you shut him down. Do you? Oh, definitely yes. I mean, there are two ways of doing it. And if a captain, I mean, Keith Wood was brilliant. I mean, at that stage, Ireland were giving away an awful lot of penalties. And uh, they had to. They had to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Eddie O'Sullivan and myself, we, we, we got, we got, he got the team together and we spoke about what they needed to do. And we basically managed to shut everybody up, apart from Keith Wood, who in his very soft Limerick accent was absolutely brilliant at influencing the referee. Uh, and, and, and that was nearly the start of talking to the referee properly. But the, the other thing that's happening is if you watch and it'll happen next weekend, there are too many other players appealing and nothing happening. Mm. Uh, I mean, a referee who somebody says something to, there should be a penalty uh, and that, that will stop it. But if you let it happen, it's going to happen again. Owen, thank you so much for coming in. That has oh, been a pleasure. In, uh, Very entirely enlightening. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back. We have to get stage. him back. I've loads more questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, do it, we'll do it again. Uh, well, hopefully not on the back of Ireland getting done by a referee. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, we should say something nice about Jakob Piper now before we sign off. <laughs> yes, well, I'm, I'm going away for six months starting tomorrow. I think. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Owen. Thank you to Jerry, who was in earlier. Thank you to you, Gav. Pleasure. For filling in. Thank you to Declan behind the desk and we will see everybody next week. Cheers, folks. <laughs> <laughs>